How we doing? Are you excited? Excited to be in this place? It's a good place to be. It's a wonderful place to be. It's hard not to sing that song and not get excited, right? I mean, that is such a powerful song. It's filled with promise, you know, just overwhelming promise that we can hold on to, that we can believe in, that we have faith in. Through the sun sets free, it's free indeed. Amen? We're free this morning. We're free in this place, free to worship God. That's an amazing opportunity. Such an incredible thing. He has a place for me. I am who he says I am. That's powerful. That is amazing. That is such good news. And it's hard not to sing that without getting excited. So I hope you're as excited as I am this morning because we're looking for God to move. We're praying for God to move. We're praying for God to show up, his manifest presence to just move in this place this morning. And that we just know when we leave that we stood face to face with Almighty God. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be incredible this morning? To just know without a shadow of a doubt, I stood in the presence of God. I could feel his arms around me. He's always there. But that's not always something that we're so assured of. So what I want to pray this morning. I want to pray for God to move in that way. But one of the other things we want to do before I pray is I want to celebrate. If you're not aware, um, Michael and Savannah had the twins. Yeah. And so we're excited for them. They were, uh, they were born perfect, healthy. Mama did incredible. Dad hung in there. He's a proud papa. Um, you know, but they're both, they're beautiful. Uh, Braxton and Chloe are their names. And they're really looking forward to the opportunity when they get to introduce them to all of you. But we want to celebrate that. That's a, this is a, a moment in the life of our campus here because we're getting to walk in a milestone moment with our pastor and his wife, with the family, with the ones that God gave a vision for this place. And so that's an incredible opportunity for us. And so if you get a chance, just pray for them. Just pray for God to continue to bless, continue for God to give them rest, continue to just lift them up in your prayers, um, you know, just as they get used to parenthood and, and, uh, and all that. And if you're a parent, you know that's a busy time. And then having two, that's even uh, more to deal with. But they're doing an incredible job, and we're so proud of them. We're so proud of how they've handled all of it. And they're such an incredible witness to us, uh, to the glory of God. So we're thankful for that. And again, I probably should have done this to begin with. My name's Eric Smith. I'm a Connect Group leader here. And, uh, and so I get the privilege of filling in for Michael this morning um, because uh, they come a little early, which was great. And so here we are. So we're going to get excited about what God's going to do. And I'm so thankful to be here with you and so glad you're here. Uh, and if this is your first time, I just want to extend our welcome to you. Um, you know, we're so excited that you are here this morning. And we're so excited for what God's about to do. And for those of you who are coming back, we're just excited. Your family. And it's good to see you again. It's always good to see family. So we're thankful. So if you will, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're just thankful for you in this moment. We're thankful for you for your opportunity to worship you. Lord, I'm so thankful that the atmosphere that just got created was a window into heaven, Lord. That your presence is so real, so tangible, Lord, that we can just feel you standing next to us, standing with us, with your arms around us. And Lord, we're just praying for more of that this morning. We're praying that we feel your presence even closer, that you just draw us in even more through the power of your word. Lord, let our hearts be receptive to what you have for us this morning. Let our hearts be open to what you want to show us and what you want to reveal to us. Let us know your love and that if it's love, then it's good for us. So let us have ears to hear whatever it is you want to say. Let the Holy Spirit move, Lord. Lord, I pray that I'm forgettable in this place this morning. I pray that the only thing that is seen is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm so looking forward to what the Holy Spirit's gonna do, and I only wanna get out of the way and allow you to speak, Lord. And so, Lord, we're looking forward to what you're gonna do all across your church, the Big C Church this morning, for those who are opening up their hearts to you to hear the name of Jesus, Lord. And we're praying for the hearts to respond. Lord, we're praying for freedom. We're praying for chains to be broken this morning. And Lord, we're just looking forward to what you're going to do, and we're thanking you for it in advance. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So if you've been following along with us in our um, 412 reading plan, uh, we're in Acts, and we're at Acts 20. We're getting on towards the end of Acts now. Um, great spot in Acts, great opportunity right here, and we're going to learn a lot this morning about Paul and Paul's legacy. And so just to catch us up, 
You know, in, in Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. And so he shows up to Ephesus, he finds some believers, he baptizes them in the Holy Spirit because they've only been baptized in John's baptism. And so he begins to set up a church, he begins to preach, and he preaches in the town hall, and he begins to just grow, and the gospel message takes root in Ephesus in a way that's absolutely overwhelming. So powerful, so incredible, so many miracles are happening in Ephesus. It's, it's just unimaginable to the point where Paul is actually taking his handkerchief out, giving it to somebody, and they're taking it to someone else, and they're being healed just by the power of his handkerchief. It's incredible what the gospel message and the miracles that are being done. Demons are being cast out. It's overwhelming, all the way to the point to where it becomes hard to make a profit on sin. That's how much the gospel message overwhelmed Ephesus at that time. Paul spent about three years there, and towards the end of that, about two and a half years in, a silversmith named Demetrius gets aggravated because he, like other ones, are making idols to Artemis. And so he calls on the other silversmith, and they gather together, and they begin to oppose the gospel message. And this is one of the first times that we see the Gentiles actually opposing the gospel message. And they're like, we can't even make a profit. And this has been a good business for us. We've made good money on making idols. And this Paul and his message and the way is removing that opportunity for us to make money, not to mention the fact that they're going to desecrate the house of Artemis. And if they desecrate the house of Artemis, then they're going to take away the honor and the majesty of our God. And so this takes hold and it takes fire. And the next thing you know, there's almost a riot over the gospel message. And so Paul decides it's time to move on from Ephesus at that point, and so he begins to travel and continue on in his missionary journeys. And so we see him moving across Asia, and we see him begin to encourage the churches. And he goes across, and he's, he's having to take a couple of alternate routes because they begin to try to assassinate him, and so he makes a couple of changes to the itinerary. And eventually... He gets to the point where the Holy Spirit overwhelms him and it's time to go to Jerusalem. And so before he goes to Jerusalem, he calls on the elders of Ephesus. And he asks the elders of Ephesus to come and meet with him. So he sends a messenger that probably took about a day, probably took about two days for them to get back. And so he was standing there waiting on the Ephesus elders to get there. And when they got there, we see Paul have his farewell conversation with these people who he groomed, who he raised who he witnessed to, he put in charge of the church at Ephesus. And so he begins to, to have this conversation with them. And what we see here, and this is, if you're a Bible nerd like I am, this is a really cool opportunity because this is the first time we ever see a sample of Paul speaking or preaching to other Christians. We have samples of him preaching, but it's always to non-believers. And so this is one of the first times that we ever see him actually recorded by Luke a message to fellow Christians. And so that needs to be an indication for us, for believers. Because if this is the last time that he believes he's going to see them, and he says that, he doesn't believe that they will ever see his face again. The Holy Spirit is weighing heavy on him. He knows his journeys are taking him towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem already has a pretty good history of how they handle Christians. And if not Jerusalem, then he's moving on to Rome, and that may not work out well for him either. And so he feels the weight of what's going on. And he wants to have this last conversation with these people who mean so much to him and about that lead a church that is so valuable to him. And so that's something that we want to kind of take and, and perk our ears up. Because if, his, if he's talking to Christians for one of the first recorded times, then that's something that God may have for us to really pay attention to and really dig into. And so as he begins to talk, he starts to lay out some of the life that he had while he was with the church at Ephesus. He begins to lay out some of the ways that he handled the people, some of the ways that he, um, it, you know, it gave an example of the message by his actions, the way he sacrificed the people, the way he loved for the people, the way he prayed for the people. He began to just lay all this stuff out. And if this is what you want to say for the last time, what we're finding is, what Paul is doing is he is laying out his legacy. And when it comes to legacy, when I thought about a legacy, you know, I started looking into it and I thought, well, okay, well, you know, 
I, I know the legacy of a bunch of great people. You know, I know they did this and they did that. And that's not really what a legacy is. That's not the definition of a legacy, just high points in someone's career or something that identifies that person. Whether it, you, know, you pick whatever your hero is, those moments, those defining moments, that isn't necessarily their legacy. Those are achievements. And there's a difference between an achievement and a legacy. So the definition of a legacy is something that is passed on from one person or place to another or received from an ancestor or a predecessor from the past. It's something that just gets imprinted onto someone and it just continues to be imprinted by the next person, the next person, the next person. It's something that gets rooted in and generation after generation, it hangs on. And so we get to see Paul starting to lay out his legacy. And see, we know a man who passed away recently who's a friend of our family. You, many of you may know him already. His name's uh, Mr. Jimmy Deloach. Mr. Jimmy Deloach was an incredible man. He did some amazing things in his life. He was the mayor of Garden City. He was a councilman for Chatham County. He had some very successful businesses in the Savannah area. He was dedicated to his church. He was dedicated to God, and he was dedicated to God before all things. He had his priorities right. It was God, family, work. He had a way of handling people that was incredible. When his family spoke they, in the eulogies, they all said the same thing. He treated the janitor the same as he treated the top brass in his businesses. There was no differential treatment between anyone. He saw everyone the same, and he loved them the same. They said the thing, same thing about his family. But he had all these accomplishments in business and all these incredible things. If you came here, you passed over Jimmy Deloach Parkway. That's him. They named a road after him. He meant that much to the community. But those are achievements. His legacy was pronounced when his grandchildren and all of them got up and said something. They didn't talk about all of his achievements. They talked about the moments that they had with him. They talked about the way that he prioritized his love for God and family. They talked about the time that he spent with them, the way that he encouraged them, the dedication he had to his church, the dedication he had to them. They talked about his legacy, not his achievements. And, and both deserve to be talked about. But there's a difference between a legacy and an achievement. And so that's what Paul's saying in these verses, because he's laying out a lot of what he did. And you can look at it and go, well, is he kind of being braggadocious about what he did? And that's not it at all. He's laying out an example so that they can see the legacy. They can see what's been imprinted and they can hold on to it. And it can be passed on generation after generation after generation. It's about the legacy. And the truth of the matter is we're all a part of a legacy. We are all imprinting something on someone all the time. It doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter whether it's your family or at work, it doesn't matter if you're on vacation, wherever you are, you have a sphere of influence that follows you, and you will always be imprinting something on someone else, even if you do nothing. Doing nothing is still doing something, and Adam taught us that, right? As he stood by and watched, he did nothing, but that was still something, and the weight of that nothing still plagues us today. So you're always moving around from place to place, and that sphere of influence is always following you, and you are always in the process of laying down a legacy. So the question becomes for all of us, what does our legacy look like? What does my legacy look like this morning? So let's get into the verses, and we'll start to kind of break them down, and we've got a few points. And let's just see what Paul's legacy looked like first. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Acts 20. We're going to start at verse 18. We're going to go through 38. It says, When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks 
then they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. And so at first, you kind of feel like, wow, he is sort of, you know, laying some stuff out and identifying these things. And it could almost feel like, you know, is he just bragging or what is he doing? But that's not it at all. That's not what Paul's doing in that place. What Paul is doing is he's encouraging them with example. He's not looking for sympathy. He's not looking for somebody to go, oh, Paul, you're awesome. He's not looking for affirmation. He's encouraging them by reminding them of his example. Do any of y'all have that in your life? Do any of you have that person? Now, I'll be honest, that's one of the things that attracted me to Connection Church is because there are people in this place that are passionately pursuing Christ. They are energetic. They are hungry for God. They're not perfect and don't claim to be, but they are chasing after God. They are pursuing him. And it's an encouragement to me, you know, because I don't always wake up and feel like that. I don't always wake up and go, I'm on fire for the Lord today. Let's get after it. I have bad days. But then I, I come around these people. We meet in a connect group on Wednesday nights, and there are connect groups all over the place that the same thing is happening. And these men are hungry. For the word of God. They're hungry for the spirit and they encourage me and it's exciting and I get pumped up and then I come here on Sundays and I'm surrounded by people who are serving and all these beautiful faces when you come down that are smiling that are just welcoming you into this place and then you have a worship team that just opens up the doors of heaven for us to see God and then you have an incredible pastor who's just given us the word. I'm surrounded by people who are just setting an example for the glory of God and it's encouraging they're not doing it to brag. They're not doing it for me to affirm them or to make them feel better about themselves. They're doing it because they've encountered Jesus and he's changed who they are. He's changed their life and he set them on fire and they're not satisfied with just being saved. They're hungry for more. They're excited for more. I need those kind of people in my life. I need that kind of encouragement to remind me of the gospel, to remind me of my pursuit in Christ. And see, that's what Paul was. Paul dedicated his life to the gospel. He dedicated his life for the glory of God. And there's never been a more powerful transformation of an individual than Paul. To go from persecuting Christians to proclaiming the name of Jesus and leading people into a relationship with Jesus. To preach him boldly being to knowing there was nothing but pain, suffering, and opposition ahead, and, pers and just pressing forward, just diving headfirst into whatever it was that God had for him. But he was also transparent. He was genuine. He was genuine about it. 
How many times do we see him? And he's, I'm perplexed. I do what I don't want to do. And then when I try to do what I want to do, I don't do it. I'm perplexed. I'm struggling. He was transparent about that. This thorn in my side. He knew that he had to lean into the power of the cross. He was constantly reminded of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He was constantly holding on to the moment that he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul was not bragging about himself. He was just telling the truth. That's all it was. He was telling the truth of what his life in Ephesus had looked like so that people would be reminded, so that they would be imprinted on that same idea of energy and passion at all costs for the sake of the gospel. And he even says, I did not hold anything that was profitable, that was good for you from you when I preached. He told them the truth. Even when the truth hurt, I need those kind of people in my life too. I need those guys that are going to tell me what's not good for me, that are bold and courageous enough in the gospel that they're willing to tell me, hey, that's going to hurt you in the long run that are willing to tell me the truth about myself because I don't always want to hear the truth about myself. And I'm more than that, I definitely don't want to acknowledge the truth about myself all the time. I need those people in my, my life. I need those people in the legacy that they're imprinting on me. Mark Twain said this, if I tell you the truth, you don't need a good memory. I don't have a good memory all the time. I don't remember all the things about me that aren't great. Maybe it's by choice or maybe it's just convenient forgetfulness. My wife would tell you I, I suffer from that. But I need people in my life that are going to tell me the truth, that are going to leave a lasting imprint on me. I need someone's legacy and that legacy to be energetic for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. And so does my life look like that? Does my life look like Paul's? When it comes to the people around me, those that I influence, is that what they see? Do they see that same thing that they saw in Paul? Do they see that same thing they saw in Christ? Am I so willing to do whatever God asks for the sake of the gospel that I would press on even into death? Has the gospel taken root in my heart to the point where I'm not afraid anymore of what's to come, but I only look forward to the completion of the race. Is that where I'm at? Because that's where I want to be. I want to be so overwhelmed in the gospel of Jesus that no matter what happens, no matter what God puts in front of me, no matter what threat or opposition comes against me, that I press on and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to the world. That's where I want to be. That's the kind of church I want to be in. That's what we're doing in this place. Moving past just a salvation-level Christianity into the deeper things of God, into the power of God. So point two, Paul begins to remind them of the value and importance of the mission. In verse 24, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task to testify to the good news of God's grace. It was always a mission for him. He knew that he was on mission for the Lord. He knew Jesus gave him a task and he was gonna complete it, regardless of what it cost. He knew that his encounter with Jesus was not just a surface encounter. He knew that his life had been transformed. He saw Jesus, overwhelmed by light and then blinded, and then led on into the city, and his eyes opened again. And before long, he's spending time with the disciples, and the next thing you know, he's in the churches, and he's perplexing the Jews, his peers, the Pharisees, to the point where they can't even argue with him. Instead, they immediately turn on him and begin to plot against him to the point where he has to be lowered in a basket to get out. That's a transformational encounter with Jesus and not just a salvation experience because he immediately went to work for the sake of the gospel at all costs. He immediately jumped in and knew that he was a part of a mission, that he had a race, that he had something that he had to complete. 
And he even said it, I want to finish the race. And that wasn't the only time he alluded to it. In Hebrews 12, 3, he mentioned a race. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he mentioned a race. In 1 Corinthians 9, 23 through 25, he mentioned finishing the race. Are there any runners in here? Amen. No runners. Excellent. I don't have to feel bad about myself this morning. I'm so grateful for that because I'm not a runner. But that completion, that intense focus to finish what God had for him. And we all have that same mission. We all have that same idea that's been planted in us to proclaim the name of Jesus to the world, to bless others for the glory of God, to serve others, to love others well. And Paul was bold in this, testifying to the goodness of God's grace all across Asia to the point where Luke said everyone in Asia heard the message. Everyone. Not everyone responded, but everyone heard it. And the power of that message was taking root. It was passing over barriers. It was passing over socioeconomic barriers. The haves and the have-nots were both hearing the name of Jesus and responding, and it didn't matter, rich or poor. He was moving in and out of different areas that had different gods, and it was bleeding over into those gods. And those people who were worshiping other gods were throwing away their old gods and turning to Jesus. The power of this message was moving into Rome, and it was an incredible thing. And he never took his eyes off Jesus. He never took his eyes off of the mission because he was deeper than just a surface level salvation Christianity. Because this is one of the things that I know I like to do with my salvation. I like to treat my salvation like it's a trophy. I like to treat it like it's a prize I won because you win prizes, right? You earn a prize. And then I take my trophy and I put it up on my shelf And then I go, look at my trophy. This is my salvation. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it incredible? See, there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that idea. Because only so many people have ever seen my trophy. If you don't come to my house, if you don't spend a lot of time with me, you'll never actually see my trophy. You have to be close to me to see my trophy. Strangers have never seen my trophy. I don't walk around with my trophy. If you have trophies and you walk around with them, come see me. We need to talk about that. There's only one trophy that really makes its rounds, and that's the Stanley Cup. The Stanley Cup gets taken around. The Stanley Cup has got a party life. That thing's done more keg stands than any of us put together. It's incredible. But other than that, trophies don't get toted around. No one walks around and goes, look at my trophy. Look at my trophy. Look at my salvation. Look at my salvation, right? We take our salvation, and we put it up on the shelf. And just like every trophy, what's it wind up doing? It collects dust. That's right. For most of us, and I'm one of them, I don't even know where my trophy is. I have no idea. And I've got a bunch of them. And I have no idea where one trophy is. But I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of taking my salvation and making it something I just want to put on a shelf. It's a prize. Because if it's a prize, I earned it, right? I won it. But our salvation is a gift. It was something that was given to us. You use a gift. We went to two wedding showers yesterday. Y'all pray for my heart. And what did they do? People were bringing in gifts. And you don't want to just bring in any gift. You want to bring a gift that they can use, right? Something that's of value. Something that's of worth, of substance that they can use. That's what our salvation is. It's a free gift that God wants to use. He doesn't just want to go, you're saved, amen, I'll see you in heaven in a few years. That's not what he wants. He wants to go, oh, broken vessel, I want to put you back together. I want to heal your wounds. I want to show the world how good I am through you. Now go to work and make much of my name. That's what God wants to do with your salvation. He didn't just save you for heaven's sake. If that was the case, you would be there right now. He saved you because he wants to put you to work. That's how powerful the message is. We're not taking a lackluster message to the world. We're taking a message that has freedom, that breaks chains. It's a message of hope. It's the message of salvation because it's the message of God. 
That's what we're taking to the world. Do you know how valuable you are? You know how valuable that makes you? That's not a prize or a trophy to put on a shelf. That's something to proclaim to the world. I'm saved. God loves his children. He loves me, and I'm not worth it, but he loved me anyways. He loved me enough to bleed for me, for my sins. So that when he looked at me, he no longer saw Eric and that ugliness that Eric was. But now he sees his son, Jesus Christ. God loves me. And that's the hope that someone that you know needs to hear. That's the hope that someone all of us knows but needs to hear. You ever thought it was funny that, and I'm guilty of this too, I'll get news and I'm so excited to tell somebody. Somebody got fired at work and I can't wait. That's a horrible thing. And I can't wait to tell somebody, did you hear who got fired? Did you hear? So excited, pumped up. Jump on Facebook, Instagram, start telling things. Be the first one to the punch, right? Why is it that I'm so excited about telling somebody news, but I am so scared to tell them the greatest news I've ever heard? I keep it like it's a secret. Like it's something that I just need to hold on to. Put it close to my heart and cling to it. When I should be telling the world, everywhere I go, everything I do should proclaim the name of Jesus Christ because that's what Paul did. You never had a doubt about where Paul stood. He was never worried about what you thought. He wasn't cared about rejection. He didn't care about how someone responded. He even says it in here, doesn't he? I'm innocent of your blood. I did what God called me to do. I was obedient and faithful. I'm innocent of your blood. I proclaim the gospel message to you. And not only did I proclaim it, I lived it. My life reinforced what I said. And so I'm innocent of your blood. And that's powerful. He did it with passion and energy. And people knew where Paul stood. He proclaimed it to the nations, no matter what. And I want to cling to it and keep it as a secret or put it as a prize on my shelf. J.D. Greer has this incredible story that's an illustration. And, and it kind of relates to that moving past that just that salvation Christianity into something else and how we all just kind of get excited and, and the church kind of takes off and you never really move past anything. He said an old man, grandfather, was sitting on a porch with his grandson and all the dogs were under the porch. And he said, before long, one of the dogs perked his head up and he barked and he took off running as fast as he could. And immediately following the other nine dogs, they raised their head, they barked, and they took off after the other dog. And the grandfather said, son, watch this. In about 15 minutes, those nine dogs are going to come back, tails down, their heads down, they're going to be panting, they're going to be exhausted, and they're going to climb back up under the porch, and they're going to go back to sleep. He said, in about 45 minutes, that first dog is going to come back with the rabbit. He said, you know the reason for that? He said, no. He said, because the first one was the only one who saw the rabbit. Have you seen the rabbit? Have you seen the rabbit this morning? Because I want to come back full. I want to come back transformed. I want my eyes so fixed on Jesus that even death will not deter me from proclaiming his name to the world. I want to be so overwhelmed by the gospel that the legacy I leave my kids that they will never say, my dad, forsake the name of Jesus, regardless of what it is. I want to leave a legacy with my sons, a legacy of freedom and forgiveness, a legacy of love, a legacy of a sinner saved by grace, overwhelmed by the love of Jesus on a cross, who dedicated everything for the sake of the gospel. I want my sons to be moved because I'm moved. How can I expect my children and the people around me to be moved by something that doesn't move me? There needs to be a fire, a passion in my heart, a drive in my soul because I saw the rabbit. 
And I wasn't just excited about everything that was going on around me. God has always been about using us. But he wants to use energetic, passionate people who are going to proclaim the name of Jesus. The salvation experience is a transformational experience. We go from death to life and we should celebrate. We should celebrate. That's why in here when we ask you if that's your choice this morning, we are going to celebrate with you because we know we've experienced it. I was dead and now I'm alive. I am reborn by the cross of Jesus Christ. And there are going to be hardships. There's going to be opposition. We know that. He says it. For the Holy Spirit warns me the prison and hardships are facing me. But yet, I consider my life worth nothing. Of course you're going through stuff. Of course there's going to be opposition. Of course the enemy's going to try to step on what God's doing. I want to tell you a trick. The enemy's after you, but it's nothing personal. It really isn't. The truth is he doesn't even care about you. He cares about stepping on the glory of God. That's what he wants. He doesn't care about you. He wants to step on the glory of God. He wants people to know that whatever you're saying about God isn't true. He wants them to believe that it's not true. That's why the legacy that we leave is so valuable. Because it means we don't have to be the people we used to be. It means we don't have to remain the way we used to be. Because our, it promised us. What did the song say? Those the sun sets free are free indeed. I'm not bound by chains anymore. I don't have to be the man I used to be. That's the legacy I'm leaving. Many of you know I'm a recovered drug addict. October 8th, praise God, be seven years sober. There are two boys in here that remember what it looked like for me to be a drug addict. And they still hear about it. But they know daddy's not a drug addict anymore. What they hear is the forgiveness of sins. They hear that God meets us where we are that he meets us in the muck and mire that we've created, that sin has just pounded us with, all the things that we turn to for satisfaction, to try to find some semblance of joy, to find some kind of hope. The drugs, the alcohol, the pornography, work, a house, status, all the things that we turn to that never satisfy us, God meets us in that place, that place of death. And he says, son, you don't have to be that way anymore. Daughter, you don't have to be that way anymore because I bled for you. Your sins are not stopping you from a relationship with me. It's only your willingness to receive a free gift and to believe that because of the blood of Jesus, you are no longer held liable for those sins. Jesus paid a payment for me, for us, and my kids know that. Because they saw a man that walked in death, that was consumed by death. And I hope every day that they see a man that's overwhelmed by life, that's overwhelmed by love, that's overwhelmed by forgiveness. And he's not perfect, ask him. He drops the ball a lot. But he knows a God that forgives. And even in his willingness to admit his failures and faults, there's glory for God. Because he saves us so that we can come to him with confidence and faith that our sins are forgiven. The last thing that Paul says is this message can only be delivered with generosity, service, love, and most of all, prayer. We see him get on his knees and pray with these guys after he says, look, this is what I did. This was the generosity of my heart. I never asked a thing from you. Jesus doesn't ask a thing for you, from you, except to receive the gift 
and quit trying to earn a prize. That's all Jesus is trying to do. He's just waiting on you to have that moment with him that transforms your life. Because as long as you say, I can, you never will with Jesus. It's only when you start saying, I can, that Jesus comes in and changes who you are. I had to quit saying, I can. And I finally just got to the point where I was so broken that I said, I can't anymore. And Jesus changed my life. And that's what he's waiting on in all of us, is that moment where we step in and just go, I can't do this, Jesus. I'm so tired of trying to live this life and the overwhelming sin, the overwhelming weight of this world, the things that never satisfy. I'm so sick of comparing myself to others and falling short. I'm so sick of looking at people online and thinking they have this perfect life and my marriage is in shambles. That's a lie by the devil. There's, they just look like they got it together. I look great in pictures, I'll be honest with you. I don't mean I have it all together. But we're stuck and we're trapped and we're bound by these chains. Overwhelmed by this life that we used to live. Paul was overwhelmed by the life he was living. Because you know it never brought him any joy. He just kept saying he was earning God's favor. And then he met Jesus. And his life changed. And he began to leave a legacy that is so powerful that we look to it today. An example. An example of love. An example of generosity an example of service, an example of boldness and courage, a willingness to proclaim the gospel, period. Because his only desire was what? I just want to finish the race. The race that was set before me. And in the thought of our last moments here on earth, how does our life look? Because this is the one I think I know. Most people, when they enter those last moments here, they're not sitting there going, nailed it. It's not happening. They're thinking of the things they wish they would have done. That or they're still waiting to say, I wish I could have finished the race. I want to finish the race. In my last moments when I'm surrounded by the people that love me, I want to be able to smile and just be so excited because I'm about to see Jesus and know that I don't even have to worry because the legacy I left behind, that they know where their father is, they know where their husband is. I'm in the face of a king and he's just telling me he loves me. And I finally get to wrap my arms around him and I don't have to worry. I can just look there in that last moment and I can just say, I finished the race. I think Mr. Jimmy finished the race. I hope we finish the race. I hope we leave a legacy in this place. I hope we leave a legacy that Pooler, Georgia, that Savannah, Georgia, that Statesboro, Millen, Vidalia, Dublin, that all across the campuses and all across the world, the places of God's kingdom that represent God's kingdom are leaving a legacy for the king. That's what we want. That when people see us, they see forgiveness. They see love, they see sacrifice, they see service, they see hope because we're not the way we used to be anymore. We don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. That's a promise of God. That's a promise that the, the life of Paul proves out. And the thing about it is people are gonna emulate you. What are they emulating? My kids are gonna emulate me. What are they gonna see? I got a little cute kid, he runs around, he got big curly hair, big head, he's 18 months, he's running around here, you see him. He sees us do things and he starts to do it. This morning I was putting on deodorant and he starts crying, so I had to put him deodorant on. So I'm leaving a legacy of good hygiene. But what's he gonna see? 
What am I imprinting on him? What's he going to know? I hope he sees a king. Not me. The king that saved me. I found a poem by a Nigerian author, and I'm going to screw his name up, but his name's Adeliki Aditi. And it's called Leaving a Legacy. It says, life itself is a bunch of something built on nothing. What lives after a man is not the luggage of his labor, but the legacies of love he leaves. Pride is parading the poorest, painting the pointless, and preaching on a pit platform. Humility is holding on to honor with the hands of your heart. What a man possesses that adds value to him alone, to him alone, goes to the grave with him. But what a man possesses that adds value to others goes to where his legs wouldn't get to. It leaves his footprint on the path of prosperity and his fingerprint on the walls of eternal worth. Live to love, leave a legacy. You see, my kids are finding out something right now. I come from a long line of drug addicts and alcoholics, but that ends with me. Because they're gonna hear hope. They're gonna hear joy. They're gonna hear salvation at its deepest level so that they don't have to search this world trying to find something that will satisfy them. They're gonna hear forgiveness. They're gonna hear of a God that loves, a God that gives us a power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, a power that I can walk into a place in the name of Jesus and things happen. That's what these kids are gonna have. That's what the men around me, I hope, have. The people who come in contact with my wife, I hope that's my influence. I hope that's the legacy, the legacy of a king. Not my legacy, it's not about me, it never was. It never will be, it will always be about Jesus because it's only in him that I can do anything because I deserve to be dead at this moment. I should be dead, but I'm breathing for a reason because God wanted to do more than just save me. He wanted to use my salvation to let the world know that he's a God that loves and saves the broken and the hopeless. So, that's the question for this morning is what kind of a legacy are we leaving? And if you're in this place this morning, if you've never encountered Jesus, if you've never seen the rabbit, that's okay. And I know even in this moment, there's an angst that happens as soon as we start getting to this point. But I can tell you, just like the other dogs, if you never see the rabbit, eventually you will run out of energy and go to sleep. And so the hope this morning is that you see the rabbit and that you respond, that you chase, that you quit saying, I can, and start saying, I can't. Jesus, help me. And if that's you this morning, if you've never stepped into that place, maybe you've been walking with God and you realize that, that you weren't quite there yet. Maybe you realize that you are the other dogs right now and you're starting to die out, you're starting to fizzle out because you never really saw the rabbit. If that's you this morning, we have some people that wanna pray with you. I'll be down front, I'll pray with you. It doesn't matter, but we wanna pray with you. We want this moment to be that moment where you see the rabbit and your life is changed forever. And not only your lives, but the lives of the people around you, maybe your children. Because here's the deal. It's not just about them. It's about their kids. It's about their kids. It's not just about what God's doing with me right now in this place. There's a legacy that's being imprinted on them that's going to affect my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my great-great-grandkids, and so on. God is doing something, and he wants to do something in this place. And if that's you this morning, he wants to do something for you. He, don't, he wants you to walk out of here with hope. He wants you to walk out of here with freedom and the promises that can be trusted because of the legacy that were left by people in the scriptures and by the ones you see who are passionately pursuing Christ. There's a reason, and it's Jesus. If that's you this morning, will you just raise your hand? And we'll celebrate with you. Amen. For the rest of us, how's your legacy look this morning? What are you leaving? What are you imprinting? I'm going to pray. The altars are going to be open. This is your time with God. If this is your moment to get your eyes back on the rabbit, 
the altars are open. If this is your moment of gratefulness for what God has done and how he's already created a legacy in you, then come celebrate him here. But this is our opportunity to meet God. Why would we pass it up? Why would we walk in the other direction? I want to be part of a legacy that proclaims the name of Jesus. And it's starting right here in this place. So let me pray. Altars are open. When I get done, if you've got to go, we can go ahead and go. There's no problem. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time together, Lord. We just thank you for the legacy that has been left in, these, in your word. Lord, we see time and time again faithfulness and obedience to you. We see people who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel, have been so transformed that it just gives strength and credibility to the gospel because they followed it to their death. We see it in this place because there are people in this place that have been broken from chains. That bondage holds them no more because of the name of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross. The Holy Spirit is overwhelmed and we see it in this place and they're an encouragement. We thank you for them. And Lord, there are ones in this place that are just praying for freedom. They're praying for the chains to fall to the ground. They're praying to stop imagining themselves in a better place and start living in a better place. To quit looking at other lives and wishing that was them, but to realize who they are in you and to walk out of this place free with their head held high because of the confidence of Jesus Christ. Lord, move in this place. Let the chains fall to the ground. Let freedom overwhelm. Let your Holy Spirit move. Let us be overwhelmed by love and hope to the point where we proclaim it to the world, even unto death, so that in our last moments, we can look around and say, I have finished the race. And it's only by the power of the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will ever cross that finish line for you. So we lean into that. We hold on to that. We hold on to your promises in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless y'all.